Well, good morning. How are you doing? I'm sorry. I was looking at other things. I was not paying attention when I clearly should have been. Uh, I'm excited about today. Uh, Before we jump into this, I do want to just make sure um, that if you are planning on coming to the picnic at 1230, uh, if you have any questions about directions or whatever, just email me at joel at connectionpoint.church and I will make sure you get the directions you need. Uh, um, It's on our website, but if you have trouble finding it, just email me and I'll be checking my email just to help you out. Now, today we are going to get into a text as we continue going through Genesis that I'll be honest, most of you have probably skipped over or read quickly through or not felt the full weight of this text. And today I hope that we can put a little weight on this text and I hope that it will also intrigue you of why you need to uh, understand this a little bit. And let me tell you why this text uh, and this scripture we're going to talk to about today is important to me. About 20 years ago, I had just come through seminary. I was um, living in Garland. I went to an um, inspection place. There was a place, all they did was inspections for your car. And so I go to get my car inspected and I'm sitting there and like a good seminary student or, or uh, I might've been right out of seminary, I was reading my Bible. And as I'm reading my Bible, not thinking I might've been gonna preach that week. I'm not sure exactly uh, what I was studying for, but I was studying my Bible And the guy who runs the inspection place, it's just me and him. And one of the great things about reading your Bible in public is people will ask you questions. But this guy just simply asked me, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I'm a Christian. And and then he proceeded. I thought, this is a great opportunity. I'm about to get to share my faith. This is exciting. I can't wait for this. Uh, You know, I'm a seminary student, so I'm going to be able to kind of help him out with the text. And this guy working behind the counter at a gas station, basically, he proceeds to say, you, want, you know what I think about Christianity? He says, I think your God is the most evil God in the history of gods. He said, I think that if you read this Bible, it paints the picture of an evil, intolerant, angry, manipulative God. And he pointed to Genesis chapter nine. He says, can I see your Bible? He takes it and he opens it to Genesis chapter nine. And he says, let me show you why I despise your God. And he reads two verses. He says, have you ever heard of Noah? And I was like, yeah, I've heard of Noah. And he says, I think the story of Noah shows you how evil God is. And he reads Genesis chapter nine and he starts at verse 21. He says that Noah got drunk with the wine and he became drunk and he lay uncovered in his tent and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers. And it goes on in the text we're gonna read today to show how because Noah got drunk and he got drunk and his son Ham comes in and sees him, Ham and his entire generation was cursed from that day forward. And the man tells me, he goes, it is evil to think that Noah is called blameless. He is called righteous. And he's the one that got naked. He's the one that was, if anyone did anything wrong, it was him. And all that happens is his son sees him. And because his son saw him, his son was cursed and his son's son was cursed forever. He said, how does that make any sense? You have a mean, angry, intolerant God that I would never, ever worship. Now, 
my rebuttal to this was a look of confusion and utter failure as a, um, as a seminary apologist ready to defend my faith. I went home and I did not know how to respond to this. I was caught totally off guard by his attacks. And it, 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 I will admit, I had read this scripture so many times where I had just glossed over it and never really thought about what was happening in the text. And whenever you encounter, and there, you're always going to have moments like this. Whenever you encounter a moment like this, you have a choice. You can listen to what the man behind the counter says. You can listen to what they say on Twitter. You can listen to what your atheist friend says because they've uh, made one attack. And you can decide, okay, I'm just never going to talk about it, never going to look at it again. I'm going to have to just kind of, we're going to just put our head in the sand and forget about that. Or you can investigate. And that's what I did. I began to really dig into this. I began to investigate, read the Bible, begin to see, well, how should I be reading the Bible? How should I look at the Bible? Because clearly, if you just read it as a history, you would look at this and you would say, man, this is, this is kind of convoluted. This is question, what is going on here? And so as we've gone through this series, what I hope you are beginning to see is that this is not just a history account, historical account of here's what happened. This is written for a purpose. And you see, I began to look at this and understand this as kind of the origin story, not just for Israel, but for all mankind, an origin story. You know what an origin story is? If you like uh, um, superhero movies, you know what an or, or comic books, you know what an origin story is. We've been uh, going through some of the, the Disney Plus is starting to put stuff on uh, some of these Avenger movies on or Avenger stories. And in, anytime you look at a hero, a superhero, you always think about the, the, the origin story. In fact, I want to ask you, who is your favorite superhero? I want y'all to, to think about this because I'm going to ask you. I want to know. Of all the superheroes, who's your favorite one? Uh, Michaela, do you have a favorite superhero? You don't look like you have a favorite. Okay. Uh, Captain America. Or Captain America. Or who? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Okay. I think those are two great. Captain America is mine. Matt, you got one? Superman, okay? And what's interesting about all of those characters, Spider-Man, Superman, uh, and definitely Captain America, he's my favorite. The reason I like Captain America isn't because of who he is or what he does, I should say, and, and all his superpowers. It's because of his origin story. It's because I've seen kind of where he's come from. It would make no sense if, if Superman, if you just saw the movie and you didn't know that he was an alien from Krypton and that he had these superpowers for a reason and, and, and you didn't know he grew up kind of normal and you didn't know the story, it would be just an, a story of an alien invasion. It would be weird. If you think about Captain America, Captain America has, he can't fly, he can't do half the things all the other Avengers can do, but he has this, this story that lets you know of all of the Avengers, if I was in battle, I would trust Captain America because there's a story and part of his origin story where they throw a dummy grenade and he, a little wimpy, this is before he got buff and took steroids, which is part of the story we don't talk about, Captain America. Anyway, he goes and he jumps on the grenade and he, and he gives his, he's, he willingly is going to give his life. And you see this origin story, you begin to understand who Captain America is, and it becomes more about who he is and less about what he does, about the superpowers he does. And so when we look at an origin story, it, it challenges us to look at who they are, 
and why they do what they do, as opposed to if you just read uh, history, you, you look and you want to know how, you want to know what happened, you want to know when it happened. And a lot of us, when we read the Bible, we read Genesis, that's how we start. We, want to, we look at Genesis 1 and we want to know how did God create? We want to know, you know what happened, when did this happen? And those are the questions we bring to it. But when we begin to see this is an origin story that's given to us so we can see who created. This is about God. This is about why he created because he wanted fellowship with us. And those are the purposes. And so as we've looked through this, we've seen the language is really highlighting things that tell us who God is and why he does what he does. And the same for men. We look at mankind and we wonder, why, is, why are we like this? Why is the world constantly going like this? And we see patterns. And these are, are, are patterns that in this story you'll see keep happening and happening. In fact, all, this, all of the, the problems we face come from one question that's asked several times. Did God really say? That's where the first problem happens. And I promise you today, the sins you struggle with in your mind, you're, wrapping, you're trying to wrap your mind around. Did God really say I can't? And that's, that's, that's something that happens over and over again. In fact, even with the story of the flood, we see that, that the waters were chaos. And so when we see in Genesis chapter one, that God takes order to the chaos, and then he, he puts a man in, in the land that he creates when he, when he separates the water, and he tells this man, be fruitful and multiply. And then it, it, it goes bad. God brings more chaos to the waters again. And in the story of Noah, what does he do? We have waters over the world. He separates the world. He puts a man into it. And what does he tell that man? Be fruitful and multiply. You see over and over again that this origin story is telling us these stories. And sometimes they're repetitive. But the point is telling us who God is and why things are the way they are. You need to understand that is what's going on in these stories. Because when you get to Genesis chapter 9, when you, if you understand that Genesis, especially the, the, the entire book, but especially the first 11 chapters are what we called a polemic. Y'all say that word with me, polemic. Polemic is a word that simply means an argument against something else. And I've tried to point this out every single week. Whenever something happens in the Bible, uh, in Genesis 1 through 11, in the story of us, it's almost always a polemic against other gods, saying that, you know what, that's why it mentions the, the Leviathan in Genesis 1, or the, the watery serpents and the watery creatures, I should say, and the giants. It's because that, it's saying that's not a god. God created that god. There's polemics all over against the gods of Israel. And so before we get into this chapter nine, I want to jump over to Leviticus chapter 18, everyone's favorite book, Leviticus. And I want to give you some context that I'm hoping will put some weight on Genesis chapter nine and understand this as the origin story. Now, Genesis 18, you've got to understand the first five books of the, of, uh, the Bible, Genesis uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All five of those were given at the same time, and they were probably began being they probably began being written after the Exodus, after they, they were enslaved in Egypt and they were freed, but they weren't completed, they weren't given to Israel written down until after they were in what's called the promised land. The promised land was formerly known as anyone know, yell it if you know, Canaan. The land of Canaan is the, is the promised land. So they're wandering in the desert. They've just come out of Egypt and God's about to take them into the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. And one of the things you're going to see is they're going to be well-versed in the culture of Egypt and they're well-versed in the culture of Canaan, of the things going on. 
And so when we start in Leviticus, which again, uh, Genesis is kind of the origin story of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Genesis was written at the same time and it explains who God is and why these things are happening. This is what Leviticus 18 says. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord, your God. They, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And so he's going to start off. He's saying, listen, where you came from and where you've gone have totally different views of what is good and what is wrong. And instead of saying good and bad, it's going to say you have a choice. You can choose to follow me or you can choose to do what you want to do. You can choose to do your own way. It's the same choice that, that Eve had is did God really say there are going to be some people who are going to say, you know what? I want to do what God says. And there are going to be some people that say, I want to do my own thing. This is what the rest of Leviticus, it's going to get weird, y'all. This is the, this is, these are the verses that if you're a little seven-year-old Joel stuck in church and you open up the Bible to Leviticus 18, you're like, your eyes get this big and you're like, does my mom and dad know this is in the Bible? I don't know. <laughs> None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is your nakedness of your mother, she is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife, for it is your father's nakedness. And it's going to go on. It's going to talk about don't uncover your sister's nakedness. Don't uncover your neighbor's nakedness. Don't uncover your, your aunt's nakedness. Don't uncover nakedness. And, and so that we're clear, nakedness, uncovering nakedness is a euphemism. The word euphemism uh, is, just means it's a polite way of talking about something that might not be polite. I always think of middle school boys because that's when I was probably reading this. And anytime uh, a naked boy uh, giggles, winks, or nods, that's a euphemism for sex. That's just how it is. So you can say anything as a, as, a, as a middle school boy. And if there's a wink and a nod, you know what they're really talking about. If so if uncover nakedness, wink, nod, we know what that means. Okay. So that's very important to know. It goes into verse 21. I want to skip down just a little bit. It says, you shall not give any of your children and offer them to Molech. And so profane the, the, the name of the Lord, your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a woman. It is an abomination. You shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal and lie with it. It is perversion. Now, I ask you, why is this in the Bible? Did this need to be said? Don't sleep with your father. Don't sleep with your mother. Don't sleep with your sister. Don't sleep with your brother. Don't sleep with your, uh, your animals. Don't sleep. Uh, um, did all of this need to be said? Apparently so is my answer to you. Now look as we go on. This is in verse 26. Why is this in here? You shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either your native or the stranger um, who sojourns among you. 27, this is what verse 27 says. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations and so the land became unclean lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the ones that were before you. 
For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge to never practice these abominable customs that were practiced before you and to never make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord, your God. So the people in Egypt and in Canaan had these practices that God is clearly defining. This is right and this is wrong. And if you know the story of Genesis, you know that God has put some sexual boundaries that are very clear. And we're in a culture now even that's always trying to push boundaries. It's always trying to say, is that, did God really say that that's wrong? Why would God really make this wrong? But understand from Genesis chapter three on, we were gonna see the same. If there's any message in the Bible that's consistent, it's the message of sexual boundaries. And it is this, that for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be united into it with his wife and they shall be one flesh. That is the clearest of all moral boundaries in the Bible is the sexual boundaries. And the reason that the sexual boundary is so clear because Jewish people would, uh, um, back in the day, they would say that the, the sexual, um, our sexual identity is kind of a, a window into our soul, that the way we act sexually, it, it really reveals what we believe. And so, one of the things you can see is there is abominations everywhere. And so I want you to think about people who had just come out of Israel or just come out of Egypt and they're about to go into the promised land, Canaan. Now they go in and they had been wandering for 40 years in the desert. And while they're wandering, they are shepherds. They're, they're not planting crops. They're not sitting down and, and, and digging in. And instead they go into a land of Canaan in which the, the, the way that Canaan is described, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. I always think of uh, Dumb and Dumber. It's a land where the beer flows like wine. Anyway, it's uh, very, very, it's just rich, fertile, okay? And they're going to now be in a place where the people there have, have plants everywhere. They grow everything. They, everything depends on fertile land. And so when you go into Canaan, you need to know that the, the main god of Canaan is a god named Baal. Now, Baal has a, is very unusual. He's the god of fertility. He became the god because his mother, his mother is Asherah. Okay, say Asherah. You need to know these two, two Canaanite gods. Okay, Asherah is the mother of the gods, but she is also the mother of Baal. And Baal actually fights and becomes the champion of all the gods. And therefore, he has the ability to have uh, to uncover the nakedness of all the gods. Okay, and he has a mistress, and this mistress is Asherah. Isn't that odd? So his mother is actually one of his mistress. And so they're going to a land that if you want to, to, to live, you've got to have fertile land. You've got to have many children who are going to work your, your land. And so when you worship and you need fertility, you would go into a pagan, into this temple. They didn't call it a pagan temple. They just called it the temple of Baal. You would go into the temple and the way they would worship this fertility and draw this fertility is they would have the priest who represents Baal have sex with one of the prostitutes as an act of worship that would hopefully spur on fertility. And that prostitute would be representing the mother Asherah. And there was sometimes that it would be a male prostitute. Sometimes it would be a homosexual relationship. And so all of this is intertwined with worship of, uh, so that God would act on their behalf. And so when we go through this, you begin to look at this and say, all of these things weren't just that God is saying, I don't like this type of thing. 
it's really a polemic against a type of worship in which every single thing, even the worship of God, even the sustenance and the, the allowing God to, to provide for you in every way had become a way of, did God really say he would provide? Did God really say that, that it's just a, a man and his wife? Or, or do we need to, to really just do what we want to do so that we can make sure that we're taking care of ourselves? And it's all of this becomes a way in which you can live your way or you can live God's way. And so Leviticus 18 is, is very clear. You have a choice when you follow God. You can follow God your own way. And when you do that, you are no longer following God. And that is why when you think of Noah and you think of Eve, Eve made this choice, did God really say, and she chose her own way. She said she saw it was good, so she did it. But in, if you remember with Noah in, Noah chapter, or in Genesis chapter 7, verse 22, it said that Noah obeyed the Lord and did what he was commanded to do. So Noah, he trusted God and he said, if this is the way God wants it, I'm going to do it that way. And the, the, really the rest of the world at the time had, had made the decision, I'm going to do what I want to do. Now we get to Genesis chapter nine and you see all of this, you know, the history of kind of what they were dealing with. They were coming out of Egypt. They were going into uh, Canaan. When you read Genesis chapter nine, if you don't know the history of Canaan and what's going on, you're going to miss the point. And it's very clear from the outset. So we're going to pick it up at Genesis chapter nine, verse 18. And this text will make more sense just from hearing what you just heard. The Lord or the sons of Noah went from the ark Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So there were eight people that survived the ark, okay? There was Noah and his wife, and then there was three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, okay? And their wives, they all came out. The wives were with them, okay? Ham was the father of Canaan. Question, why did it tell us that? Canaan doesn't live yet. He's not existing yet. Why would it tell us that? Because what is coming is all about Canaan, even though he doesn't live yet, okay? You need to understand that. There's a reason it says Canaan, and he's not even there yet. These three were the sons of Noah. All of the people of the earth were dispersed, uh, from whom all the people of the earth were dispersed. I don't have time to get into that. 20, Noah began to be a man of the soil. He's come in, he's now he's living kind of like uh, the Israelites would live when they came into the promised land. They're now making a vineyard. It's, a, it's all about what you can plant. He drank the wine and he became drunk and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, second time we've heard this word, father of Canaan, who doesn't exist yet. But it makes it a point. Canaan came in, he saw the nakedness of his father and he told his brothers outside. So let's talk about the sin of Ham. Okay, I've heard this. There's a lot of theories about what the sin of Ham is. Let's be clear. We don't know. Okay, we don't know. I'm going to tell you four things that could be. Uh, the first thing that I've heard is there were some Jewish rabbis who said it was castration. I don't think that it is castration, but I'll just tell you that was one of the things. The reason that uh, they think it was something physical done to Noah is because in verse 24, it says immediately when uh, Noah woke up, he knew something had been done to him. So some people think physically something happened to Noah that was abhorrent, okay? Um, there are three other explanations, and of these three, I think it could be any of them. The first one is uh, it's possible that, uh, that Ham molested, sexually molested his father. That's, that's possible, okay? Um, it's possible that he sexually molested his wife, okay? 
It's possible. Now, remember when we looked at Leviticus, it said, if you uh, uncover the nakedness of your mother, it's the same as your father. So the way they would have referred to it either way is it could have been that he molested somebody. Okay. These are abhorrent. Okay. We understand this now. Um, but it also could be that he just saw it, that he literally just saw the nakedness of his father. And because who's the one that, that uncovered it, it, it is that Noah uncovered uh, himself. The way that I read it and the way I, I think what I think happened here is I think that Noah got drunk with his wife and I think Noah had relations with his wife. Okay. And he was laying uncovered in his tent. Uh, and should he have been drunk? No, he should not have been drunk, but I think that he was inside of his tent and I think that Ham walks in. It could be, uh, that, that that's the way I read it. Okay. Ham walks in and he sees his father's nakedness. He looked at it. And the first thing he does is what? He goes outside and he tells his brothers. He celebrates the shame or he celebrates the whatever had happened to know. He celebrates it with his brother. And when you think about the, the contrast here of what's about to happen, the true sin, I think, is what is this celebration that here is a man who's laying, uh, who is not covered, who is, who, who is in shame somehow, and Ham celebrates it. And if you know the sexual morals, is, it has been very clearly defined. Ham has, has crossed the boundary one way or the other. Now, what I want to show you, though, is in my Bible, it's 12 words. And in Hebrew, it's, it's uh, just a few words describe the sin of Ham. But when you see what Shem and Japheth, the two other brothers, do, you can see that clearly the sin is the response to the nakedness, okay? Because it's going to go out of his way, again, to show us how they should have, how he should have responded. It says this in verse 23, then Shem and Japheth took a garment, they laid it on their shoulders and they walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their fathers. Their faces were turned backwards. It says the word backwards twice. It's going out of its way to tell you how they covered their father's nakedness. And they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah woke up from his wine, he knew that his youngest sons, what his youngest son had done to him. So he knows he's covered now. It might not even be his blanket. It might've been that one of the brothers took their own to cover him. But I want you to think about this, this idea of covering. This is a big idea as we've seen throughout the, the Bible. The first time that somebody is naked, who covered them? God covered them. Naked and being covered by God is a theme that starts early in Genesis and is going to go all throughout this idea of covering. The word is atonement. And it goes into the idea of sacrifices. When, when they wonder, um, why do we have these, this sacrificial system and temples and all the, and, the, and the temple and all of these things later on in the Torah, they're going to be able to go to the origin story and say, oh yeah, because God is the one that covers us. God atones for us. And so you see the heart of Shem and Japheth is they, they see their father laying naked and they want to cover him, whereas uh, Ham wanted to celebrate and, and to make fun and to point and, and, and to, to utterly destroy the credibility of his father instead of covering that naked, instead of having a heart towards God, of God has said, this is wrong. Let's cover our father. Let's give him dignity. The reason it doesn't tell us what it is, is because I think that God was, was protecting the, the integrity of Noah. And he's saying, even in the, the account of this, we're not going to tell you, we're going to protect Noah because we want to cover the shame that Noah would have been experienced had, had this been uncovered. What happens next, the curse of, uh, Canaan is very unusual. 
First of all, Ham is not cursed. That's very, un- that's very telling. Why? Because this really isn't about Ham. This is the origin story of why are we going to go into Canaan? Why do they deserve to be removed from their land? Why are we not going to do anything that they're doing? Why are we going to stick to what God has told us about sexuality, that it is between a man and a woman who are married, and that is the only boundaries. Why are we going to stick to our guns when it comes to the way we, we act sexually? It's because it's a polemic against everyone else. And I want to show you because even the heart of God is from the origin is that when there is sin, we're going to trust God to tell us what it is. And we're going to do everything we can to have God cover it. This is about holiness, living separate from others. And so here is the curse. The curse is very unusual. Curse be Canaan. A servant he shall be to his brothers. Canaan doesn't exist yet. It's not cursing Ham. It's cursing Ham. Now, some people have said the sin of Ham is uh, in slavery. I'll let you know. They called the sin of Ham. They said the curse of Ham was uh, dark skin. That is absolutely a lie. There is no, even the descendants of Ham do not go uh, just to Africa. They go to Asia. They go all over, okay? Um, this was used. This has been uh, speculated in awful ways before. But from what we see in the text, this is just about Israel going into the promised land. Why are they going into the promised land? They're going there because the people there have been so, uh, they have abandoned God and gone their own way. So they're simply going to be, the land is kicking them out. Their choices have kicked them out. They're an abomination. And then it says this, blessed be the Lord, uh, the God of Shem. Doesn't bless Shem. It says, blessed be the Lord of, of, of Shem. Okay, Shem, this is a key idea. Shem's, one of Shem's descendants is a man named Abraham who eventually will be the father of Israel. Israel is the line of Shem, okay? So the God of Israel is being blessed. The God of Israel is the way to go. And so if you're Israel, you've got the right God. And then it says, and may God enlarge Jephthah. Now Jephthah is going to represent all of the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people who did not follow who decided, you know what, we're going to try to cover, we're going to let God cover our sins as well. And so there's a prophecy here that Shem is going to be blessed, Israel is going to be blessed, but also there are going to be Gentiles that are blessed. And how are the Gentiles going to be blessed? Let him dwell in the tents of Shem. In other words, we're going to be invited in to share in the God of Israel, to share in this God who can cover the sins of people. Now, I know this is a lot to wrap your head around, especially if you're new to God's word. This is one of those that you might have to circle back after reading and and getting, I understand. But here's what I want you to see. As you read this story, even in the midst of this, there's this idea that God has, has given us a way to live. He has given us his way. And it is not because he wants um, us to miss out on stuff. It's because he's given us a, the best way to live. If we want to share fellowship, why? When we go to Genesis, why did God create? He wanted to have fellowship. How do we um, have fellowship with God? We follow God. We serve him. We obey his command. That is the act of faith. We have faith that God can cover us. And if we have faith, we will do what he says to do. And so when they go into another land or when they come from a land, they say, listen, we're not going to do what they do because if we do what they do, that means we're following their gods. We're believing the things they believe, but instead we're going to put our faith in our God. And our God says, when it comes to 
how we live, live sexually, we're going to, to obey God's word. When it comes to how we live morally, we're not going to sacrifice our, our kids to Molech. We're going to raise our kids up to love the Lord. Molech, by the way, that's, that was another God at the time of the Ammonites. That's what they would do. Now, all of this is basically a, 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 one idea of when we live in this world, we have a choice. We can live like Canaan or like Ham. And we can make the decision, you know what, these sexual norms, these sexual uh, boundaries, it's kind of funny sometimes when people cross it. And we can celebrate that. I will tell you, even watching TV this past week, I watched the Grammys and it was there. It's celebrated everywhere you look. Sexual boundaries being pushed are celebrated everywhere. And people that, that say, you know what, I'm going to trust the Bible. I'm going to trust that a man and a woman who are married, that's my boundary. And I may struggle with it, but I'm going to trust that that is right. Not because that's the way it should be, any of that. It's because God has set these boundaries and I want to follow God. I want my life to be separate for God. That's the point of Genesis chapter 9. It is a choosing to follow God. It's a choosing to obey God and take what he says is right and not celebrate those who think that there's another way or that, that it's okay to push the boundaries of God. So right now, you may be struggling with a, a sexual sin. That is probably how most of us go through life, whether it's just uh, pornography or just a, 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 something that's between you and the Lord, a struggle you have. Maybe it's a, a sin that you committed a, a while back and, and it haunts you because you know that you have committed this sin. Or maybe it's that you push the, the boundaries and you're, you're trying to call things that God says are wrong, right. The solution here is very clear. It's covering. It's letting God cover our sin. That is what I want you to see from this. There's a a verse that uh, I want to close with, it's 1 John 2.2. 2. As Christians, it's not that we're perfect. It's that we trust Jesus to cover our sins. This is what 1 John 2.2, 2, this is the New Living Translation. He himself, Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones, that covers our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. When you read Genesis chapter 9, especially the end of it, and you get to this, I want you to see this prophecy that there's going to be a day and in which the, the line of Canaan is, is moved out. And that's what happened. That Israel comes in and they say, we're going to establish our God as the throne. And we're going to establish his boundaries and we're going to celebrate his boundaries. And there's going to be some people who are going to reject those boundaries. And those are the line of Cain. Those are, are people who, who say, we want another God. We want one who we can worship the way we want to worship. We can, we can do the things we want to do. And then there's going to be this line of Japheth. There's going to be this, this line of people who are uh, Gentiles. That is, they're not Jews, but they decide, you know what? The God of Israel, the God, the, the salvation of Israel through Jesus, that's who is going to cover us. And as Christians, that's who we believe. That's what we believe. We believe that holiness is the point, is that we are not trying to be good because we think that we, we could be good. It's because Jesus has covered our sins. And when we let him cover our sins, it separates us from the world. We are not gonna run after those things. Instead, we're gonna let God cover our sins. 
I'm going to go ahead and close now. I know that there are probably a thousand questions if you understand this, and, or there's a thousand questions because you don't understand a word I just said, and that's okay. I want you to continue going through Genesis and reading this. Understand this becomes, you begin to understand. Every time you go through, you'll understand a little bit more. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, even when it's hard. Lord, I thank you for the experience I had 20 years ago when the first time I encountered this text and I was so confused by it. I did not understand. I even questioned your goodness. Lord, I thank you that even in the midst of that, that I was able to hold tight to my belief that you indeed are the creator of this world, that you indeed are good and that you have the best for us all. So Lord, I thank you for this text, which even as odd as it may seem, points us to Jesus, points us that in the tents of, she of, of Shem, in the tents of Israel, we're going to find salvation because blessed is the Lord of Israel. And Lord, ultimately, I thank you for Jesus Christ, who's sending your son to not only die for us, but to cover our sins. So Lord, we rejoice in the fact that even when we read through the Old Testament, we can see that you are pointing us towards holiness, pointing us towards something only you can do, and that is to cover our sins. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.